You're listening to 7 Points of Satisfaction in Buying HR Technology. Supported by the HR Gazette and Hive Tech HR. And now your host, Jeremy Ames. All right. Well, welcome to uh, episode six in our seven points of satisfaction in buying HR technology uh, webcast series. Um, I'm delighted to be joined today by Dave Weisbeck, who's the Chief Strategy Officer of Vizier Corporation. My name is Jeremy Ames. Uh, I'm with Hivetech HR. And uh, Dave, why don't you say hello to the audience here? <laughs> hello, everyone. Uh, and thanks, Jeremy, for, for having me and having us here. And have a chance for us to share hopefully a little bit of wisdom in this file. Great. So we're going to talk today uh, about support. So support is the sixth in the series uh, that was originally written for Tech Target. Um, and at this point, we'll have covered a series of other uh, topics starting with product. And then we'll be wrapping things up with adoption after this. Um, but uh, support's a huge topic that's not always necessarily given the attention that it's needed in the buying process. So we're going to try to talk about this in the context uh, or from the angle of the buyer, um, but giving sort of the vendor perspective on this whole whole thing. So first, let's talk a little bit about the, how, how important the support function is and when you're going buying an HR system, uh, whether that's a pure HR and payroll system or potentially, like in the case of Vizier, a workforce analytics solution. Uh, because oftentimes it's undervalued, whereas it's very still very important in the process. So what are your thoughts on that, Dave? Yeah, so um, a couple of things, maybe, in terms of context even of the question, at least the way I would think about it. So the first thing is what do we want to encompass when we talk about support? I think the traditional model is to think something has broken. I need to reach out to my vendor because I need them to fix it. So this notion of break, fix. Um, but, you know, modern day support has certainly gone much further than that. Are you getting value from the application? What what other services might they provide to help you to apply it and get more value from the, you know, whatever application you acquired, as well as all of the services that might be necessary at a more technical level. So support can be much broader than us, uh, we generally think of. And then on the other side, what are all the other factors that we should actually be considering? Most of us who are acquiring systems think fundamentally about that system, of course. So is this the best software choice for me? But what all of the you know, analyst research will show you is that your costs, your true costs around such systems is not captured just in the licenses. It's captured in everything that surrounds it. Um, your internal teams and their, those costs, the cost of the services to implement and yes, to support as well. And so, I mean, my opening point of view would be that actually this should be one of the top considerations and priorities around any sort of buying decision, simply because it's going to have one of the largest impacts to both the cost, so your ROI, as well as success, and therefore also your ROI in any decision you make in terms of a, a software system. Awesome. Great points. I know uh, the topic of Cost is not just dollar cost, like you kind of mentioned, but it's also, you know, the opportunity cost of time lost due to system downtime. In the case of, you know, payroll systems and, and systems that manage your benefits, the cost of potentially not paying your employees and, and potentially turnover uh, as it might relate to that as well. That's a great point. Yeah. And then uh, you sort of touched on this as well, but this whole concept of, uh, you know, what's a fix and what's an enhancement. So the support function uh, customers like to try to push the envelope, push 
supporting this enhancement world seems like to keep them in the box. Um, but then, you know, some of this, I call it sneaky vendor bag of tricks is pure cost again, or even just waiting for a feature that should have already been part of the core product. So how do you think that uh, matters in terms of, of the buyer's decision? Yeah, that's a good point as well, or a good stage at, at this point of conversation. Call it as well the, the different support models that largely are going to depend on whether or not you are looking at software as a service, or whether it's something where it is you know, on-premise. Certainly, you know, from a, an HR point of view, we've, as I like to put it, we're, we're a very sassy industry and in that we, we like our software as a service. The, uh, so it is the predominant way that people acquire, but there are still, you know, those needs and those systems that are on demand. In the software as a service, of course, you, you are, um, you do see uh, roadmaps, continuous uh, innovation, very fast release cycles as well. Three or four times a year, you're seeing updates to the product. And you see a lot of vendors, um, Vizier included, we have a community which we would include in the extended definition of support. So I would include in support certainly you know, how customers are supporting each other. I think that's actually another important aspect to consider in, in evaluating support offerings. And part of that community is the ability for people to vote and say, this is more important, this is really critical that we get this capability or issue addressed as the case may be. And as a combined community, we can vote and say, this is most important, and as a vendor, we need to react. We're not the only ones who do that, of course, but I think it's a good one to look for in terms of how responsive is that vendor to, I need new things, I need enhancements, or I need things fixed. On the flip side, which this question is really about, is, is what about those vendors and how do you really protect yourself where in the moment of, of considering a choice of vendor and solution, they promise you the world. Now, how do you make certain that that is a real promise and not a wonderful sales technique to get you to say yes? Um, and as, there's no real easy answer to that. They, you know, Generally, vendors won't agree to put such terms in contracts and so there is an aspect of making certain that you have a lot of trust in the solution provider from a partnership perspective and it would be another piece of advice related to this topic but also more broadly make certain that you're working with a vendor you truly believe you have a partnership with rather than they are the vendor and you are paying the money just for good look to establish a relationship that's broader than that wow those are a couple of awesome points there especially you know, creating the community and giving the community try to drive the enhancements and, and what's the fix versus enhancement and trying to get each other support in some ways. And then, you know, yeah. you kind of talking from the perspective of, of the, you're the vendor, right? But you're kind of giving that perspective that the buyer should be considering. So that coming from you is essentially, it's exactly why I tried to frame this thing as, as I did, um, where you know the vendors are talking about this and you're going to give your complete honest uh, feedback on this yeah and, and and to go a little beyond that on that one and, and it certainly what transitions nicely into this next topic as well at the end of the day the, the vendors don't want unhappy customers why would they that just makes life more difficult and hard they're always going to want to try to help and resolve issues 
their challenge is, is that you know, the, the demands that they have, the ideas that are brought forth by customers are generally going to be greater than their ability to serve all of them. So they just have a problem of prioritization. And if you can have uh, the customers participating in that collectively, I actually think that's a great thing because now you're getting not just one person who only has the view on customer, who only has the view as one customer, you're getting collectively um, you know, support behind the things that are most important. And that prioritization generally makes everybody happier. So it's a great thing when you can find it with your vendor. Awesome. This next topic, I know it's, uh, it's something that's always asked in the selection process. Uh, customers are trying to get a sense of how expensive is support going to be for them. Uh, I know that different vendors handle cost of support differently. A lot of them roll it into their overall ongoing maintenance costs. Some of them have this kind of tiered approach where you're paying different amounts based on the type of service you get. Uh, and then there's other, you know, considerations. I'll just, before we kind of let you loose on the topic, this, I put this together as kind of just a funny little example of where the tiered approach doesn't always uh, get you there because you have this basic approach where you're really getting nothing, which is also a challenge when you're dealing with a, like a HR payroll system or something that's critical to the business operations. You have the middle tier where you're, you're now you're having to pay for just getting support. You're getting it on alternate Tuesdays as a joke, uh, and then the super duper gold plan where you get you know free car, car washes for your kids or in childcare, and you're paying a ton of money. So how do you how does Vizier's uh, what does Vizier's take on the whole paying for support model, and, and what have you also seen overall in the market? Yeah, um, admittedly, we're we're perhaps. The, the odd one out in a sense that we don't like the traditional models, which I think is more of what you're representing there, uh, maybe with the car wash aside, but the more traditional models of you know, support is an additional charge. Support is an additional thing. And, and part of the reason is um, most of the times, if you're you know, buying a sophisticated system, you know, an enterprise system, uh, you can't get a price without some sort of calculator. You need a spreadsheet, you need you know, a degree in you know, math to be able to figure out exactly what it is that you need to pay. And we've always found that uh, frustrating. It's a bit like, uh, I think some of the typical examples, it's, you know, it's cell phone contracts, which have all of these small language details in there. And I think people who are acquiring solutions find that frustrating. So our personal approach is to go as simple as simple can be. Uh, and part of the reason, again, is to the difference between the on-premise and the software as a service. And a software as a service, it you should be getting the entire service as our point of view, and that should include everything that you need from a support and services perspective. And so our personal model is it's just included in your subscription, and everybody gets the platinum um, to your model, uh, and that everybody gets, um, the highest level of service, and it's just part of your subscription. The reason, again, that you know vendors start to break this out is you know, fairly simple, that they know that they have those who have higher needs and higher demands, and if they can find a way to make certain that they can, you know, whether it's staff or have cost recovery as it relates to serving those higher demands, then they can tear it out. Those organizations who maybe need less pay less, those who need more pay more. Um, the downside is what I already related and that it can make things exceedingly complex to figure out what it is that you need. 
And if you make the mistake and get too much, you know, it's too bad. You know, you're overpaying for what you, you may need or you're not getting the support that you need if you've underpaid. So our, our model is prefer to say it's no hidden costs. That's all included. So basically it sounds like simple and robust is kind of the, the two adjectives that might describe the ideal support model. Yep. Kind of summarizing things. All right. Okay. Um, and then, you know, as far as like the, the actual structure of who you're dealing with, I, I've dealt with every type of vendor uh, offering a lot of times, you know, customers are always asking, am I going to get a direct support rep uh, or am I going to be working with a team? Do I, do I have somebody I can call essentially when I have an emergency? Um, you know, does the vendor answer the phone or is it more like, a, you know, using then Zendesk uh, or some other health solution as the first outreach? You know, where, where are they? Are they offshore? Uh, and then how, you know, the criticality of the systems, obviously the HR payroll space um, might be even more critical. And how does that translate to the SLA? So any, uh, any opinions on those? Lots, lots yeah, that's, here, but <laughs> <laughs> so I, I should go back and re relate it in part um, to what I said up front in terms of, you know, I think we have to expand our, our, our mind in terms of thinking about what support really means. So um, you are probably going to have, you know, if there's a critical issue, you're going to want to have somebody you can reach immediately. Now, the nature of the staffing for that type of team means that it's probably not going to be a named individual. It's going to be, you know, and some level of an emergency team that when things go wrong, you know, they're always there to answer the phone and, you know, there is as frequently as possible in terms of, you know, you know, any day of the week, any time of day. Um, when it comes to the more involved things, and particularly in the, you know, the, there are more modern roles that support organizations even talk to, um, roles like customer success managers, rather than traditional, you know, a support or team support or, you know, somebody who's got a support in their title. And the, the role of a customer success manager is exactly as the name implies, to make certain that you're successful, successful in the application of the technology, not just the technical implementations, not just getting your issues resolved. And so they need to have a better understanding of your business and what you're trying to achieve and the outcomes that you're seeking and help you to map between what you know that particular system can do and how it can help you to achieve those outcomes. In that case, I certainly wouldn't expect that some generic team could really understand my business. I would expect that an individual that I spend time with could. And so I would start to, you know, and this one, my advice would be to start to ask some questions about the different roles, the different types of support that are provided, different types of services. And there's a grand spectrum that can come from that, you know, break fix scenario all the way out to more strategic consulting. What all does the company offer? What all are you going to have to pay for? What all is included in your, your contract or in your license? Really understand that and then understand how you're engaging with each. Don't expect to have named individuals on that emergency line, but do expect in cases where they need to understand your business to really provide you value. Sorry, I couldn't find the mute button. Thanks. That's good stuff, though. And uh, <laughs> I've uh, I found, you know, fairly recently also that this what, what's happening with um, with vendors that have a pretty broad product, they're also putting together teams that kind of cover all the different areas. So even though you might have one main contact, 
uh, they kind of distribute the work to the different uh, subject matter experts. So that's another another layer that you know, a lot of vendors are kind of like, uh, putting into this. Yeah, well, and we have a with the customer. We have a kickoff uh, team, and, um, and a part of that, uh, and a little document that goes with that, and we list out all of the named individuals who are you know associated with you as a customer, but we also want the same path on the other side. Because um, it's really important for everybody to know the, the individual roles, and that's in both directions. And so um, it's another thing to kind of watch out for, is that do they want to know who you are, too? Exactly. So this next topic, I know you sort of alluded to a piece of it when you were talking about, you know, the SaaS versus on-premise and how that's all managed. I know non-premise, which is becoming less frequent, but it, uh, this whole update, upgrade, process is a, a piece of something that they you know, customers try to put off and, and avoid as long as possible. Now it's still important uh, for that to be managed, for uh, somebody to be in charge of telling the client through hopefully in an automated fashion what's been added, you know, what's the new functionality entails, uh, and making it a seamless response or a seamless process. Uh, but the key is who's responsible for that. So what, what have you found and, and how does this year try to manage that? Yeah, and I, I would say this is one of the the easiest to obtain, if it's done right, advantages to software as a service. Um, I have some old stories of you know previous companies and previous ways that um, you know we delivered software, which of course would have been on premise. And the reality was that the time frame for updates was often closer to two years, and customers would often take a every second release philosophy because they would have capital expenditures in the millions of dollar range just to update systems that were broadly used. And that's one of the lovely things about software as a service is it breaks that really long delay to get access to greater, better functionality that you need as, a, as an organization and the associated cost with that update. Now, the reason I say that if it's done correctly is you're calling out here even some of the places where it's not done correctly, where you have a whole bunch of different code bases as a, as a software as a service vendor, where it's not really truly SaaS. Um, it is maybe just a hosted solution. In those cases, you're going to start to lose a lot of those benefits. While much of the, the hard costs may still go back to your vendor of choice, you're not going to get the you know, speed of updates. You're, there's going to be a lot of delays, uh, and there's going to be a lot of problems that, uh, that it worked in one release and it didn't work in the next. And so the, you know, my advice for this one would be you know, to dig in a little bit on, on how that organization is updating their software, how frequently they're updating it, and exactly what are your responsibilities. Do they give you early access with the idea that they want to give you early access to the next release so that you can prepare your organization for what is new and improved? Or are they giving you new access because they want you to be their QA department? Be careful when you realize that they want you to be their QA department. Um, and make certain that it is a, going to be a great experience of they're going to give you that early access uh, so that you can prepare and you can be excited about getting new innovation rather than testing. Really amazing point. And it, it kind of explains sort of why the whole upgrade process and the overall theme of when you're looking for a system, it actually 
it holds a lot more weight and can have a, a much bigger impact than anybody really considers. You know, support is kind of the, the poster child for that overall, but specifically the update, upgrade process can a lot of times make or break, you know, your success in using a system and, and how well it's adopted because every time you go through that upgrade process, it can either be a huge pain point and you, you know, get you one step closer to the door or it can be done smoothly. So there's such a variation in how the different uh, software vendors are accomplishing that. And then um, this topic here is kind of tying the whole support function. I know we've talked about support, we've talked about uh, services. Uh, and so, so I guess from my perspective, how this fits in the organization is, is huge because if, it's a, if you've just got this one back room where you've got the people answering the phones, or in some cases you just have like an offshore function of support, uh, that has no interconnection to the overall company. Uh, a lot of a lot is lost in translation as new, you know, on the ongoing operations, but as new functionality is released in that particular product. So uh, this again is huge in terms of connecting support to the organization and how that translates to the success of the customer. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Dave? Yeah, there's probably two places that you could dig in a little bit, um, and I've seen. Uh, Customers do this over the years, and and I always have a little knowing wink when they when they do a couple of these things because it, it shows that they're thoughtful about the way you know that software vendor is operating and understand a little bit deeper and are able to tease out how might impact them. So what are what are some of those things? Um, one of the one of the things I've seen reasonably common is trying to get an understanding of how strong is the relationship between a support organization and that vendor's product organization. So if the support organization has some level of influence, um, some level of connectedness, so that when there are enhancements or fixes that can't be addressed directly from the support organization, we need the product organization to make changes in the software, are they able to make those connections? And one of the simple ones, which I may regret, because uh, I gave everybody this advice, um, a whole bunch of vendors may complain to me, is to see whether or not, as part of even the evaluation and sales um, time, uh, you can have a conversation with somebody who's probably going to be titled a product manager in the vendor and have a connection to that type of individual who is ultimately going to be the, the person, or at least the role in the organization responsible for prioritization of changes to the software. If you can get that person engaged, then it says something good about um, the ability to have some influence on the product side of things, should you, should you need it. The other one, of course, is, is the connection between support and sales. And so does sales disappear after, you know, UK, here's the invoice, and now I'm gone. And uh, I'm not selling anything more to you, so I'm not interested in talking to you. So it's, it's worthwhile to understand the relationships of sales and support after you become a customer. What is sales' role? What do they do? Um, how do they help and support and add value? And then understand whether you want that, I suppose. But um, have a good understanding of that before you make your decision. Good stuff. And I, I love that uh, support. And influence, like how much support does influence, or how much influence does support have? Because traditionally, support and influence are like an oxymoron because it's sort of like the, yeah. you know, again, the back, the back room where they're just, you know, people are yelling and complaining, calling and complaining, and they, they traditionally don't have influence, so if they can manage to sit 
like you said, it kind of ties it all together. So and they can they can influence product and, and the communication increases. So, so. Yeah, yeah, and they're very much supposed to be your advocate. I mean, that, that's the, the modern approach. So, you know, again, back to the idea that the old approach was more something's broken. Okay, we need to just you know queue it up to be fixed. So go learn some backlog. Um, but the more modern approach is they need to be your advocate uh, and helping you to apply the technology. And so how influential are they when that advocacy means they need to work with others in the organization? So find ways to evaluate that and test that. Great. So one last, uh, we're kind of almost out of time here, uh, another minute or so left, but any, uh, I, I left this open for you to kind of, after you've given some thought to this topic, any, any particular things stand out to you as another consideration somebody should have when they're thinking about support in the buying process? Yeah, and I think we, we generally think about support as a relationship between, you know, vendor and customer. And yes, I would advocate think about it more as a partnership, but there's another place for support where I would say the vendor needs to be a facilitator, and that is customers helping each other. So my Dave's choice would be uh, don't discount the value of a community. Do they have a community site? Do they connect customers to other customers? What do their user conferences, user groups, et cetera, look like? Do they have content and, and try to tease out best practices? Do they share those best practices? That is gold. That is generally as valuable, if not more valuable, than what the vendor will provide directly themselves. And so don't forget that piece and hold them accountable to be that facilitator. Well, for those who actually made it through the 25 minutes or so of this session, I think that's the, the golden nugget. We sort of hinted at it around <laughs> step three, but honestly, I, I, I didn't include it, but it wasn't intentional, but I, it ended up being the, uh, the uh, nugget at the end of everything, so that was great. Um, so if you want to uh, follow up with Dave or connect with either Dave or myself, uh, here are our Twitter handles, um, at DYSpec, and I'm at Jeremy Allen Ames, and that's Allen with a Y. Uh, and then make sure you try to catch uh, our previous episodes that I've that I've covered and stay tuned for the remainder of the series. Uh, but for now, I'd like, like to thank you, Dave, for, for joining me. Um, your, your expertise, I kind of knew about it uh, over the years of kind of interacting with you, but to hear it firsthand has been a lot of fun. Um, do you have any final thoughts before we close out the recording? Oh, man, final thoughts. Um... Final thoughts, well, this was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully it was valuable, and uh, hopefully I've given you a little bit of wisdom to make a, a better partnership with whatever your vendor of choice is. Great, thank you so much, Dave. Thank you for listening to Seven Points of Satisfaction in Buying HR Technology. Subscribe on iTunes and learn more at hrgazette.com.